I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two films with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this episode. In the red corner... Christian Bale's early work was a little too new way for my taste, but when American Psycho came out in 2000, I think he really came into his own, commercially and artistically. The whole film has a clear, crisp quality and a new sheen of consummate professionalism that really gives it a big boost. It was compared to Fight Club at the time, I think American Psycho has a far more bitter, cynical sense of humour. I don't think I can control myself. If you stay, something bad will happen. I feel lethal, on the verge of frenzy. I think my mask of sanity is about to slip. You're inhuman. I know my uh, behavior can be erratic sometimes. Hey, Paul! While in the blue corner, rich kids are all screw-ups and fancying people at college is totally the worst. Let's all take some drugs and go to parties, which may exist in real life, I don't know. But if they did, I wish I'd spent my uni days out at get-togethers which resemble either the Wicker Man or Eyes Wide Shut. From 2002, it's Rules of Attraction. What are the rules of attraction? I think I'm in love with this girl. She's sweet, pure, innocent. She's a virgin. Tonight's the night. Who's a lucky boy? Sean Bateman. He's a dealer. <laughs> so what do you think? What do I think? Rock and roll. So what connects these two movies? Which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. What up, Clash Potters? I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And as you just heard, we are doing Rules of Attraction versus American Psycho this week. These were chosen by one Victoria Crompton. So, Vicky, please tell us about these choices. So um, I'm aware that I have a weakness um, for emotionally void and disassociated people who are at once repulsed by everyone else at the same time as they're regretfully dependent on them for small morsels of human connection in a way that overwhelms them, albeit briefly, with bitter self-loathing, which means there's a lot for me in this room, in these films. Mm-hmm. I'd have preferred it if you'd sort of cast your gaze between Chris and I, <laughs> as you said that, as mm. opposed to just looking directly at me. Yeah, I kind of forgot he was here for a minute, mm. to be honest. Am I paying for this session? Because you're making notes, which is unnerving. Would you like to guess the connection? Is it me? You, Chris Dilly. Is it an interview I did at Comic-Con some years ago where I interviewed the producer of American Psycho 
alongside the actor who played Patrick Bateman in the deleted scene from Rules of Attraction. Casper Van Dien. Yeah, and Edward R. Pressman. Wow. I interviewed them together for Starship Troopers 3 or 4. So that's where those guys ended Wait, up. <laughs> did Casper Van Dien come back to the Starship Troopers franchise? He did. I mean, I, I'll admit, I stopped after the first one. I was aware there were more, but I thought he bailed as well. No. He's not in all of them. No. Okay, he He's just came back, back for this one. Yeah, so, right. it's, so it's not me. Is he, does he play Rico? Yeah. Okay. Okay, Rico's Roughnecks. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk about Starship Troopers <laughs> 3 or 4 or whatever you, you, sequel it was. You've set me off. I love that movie. I love the first one. That was my guess. Not seven. Um, all right, I've got a couple. Is it two films featuring a protagonist who shares their surname with a thoroughfare between Dean Street and Frith Street in London's <laughs> fashionable Soho district? Kind of. <laughs> and the star of Teen Wolf 2. Oh, you love talking about Team Wolf 2. Do you want to talk about that a bit Because it's T-O-O, not T-W-O. It's so clever. You're in for a howling good time oh, if God. you watch that. Shut up. <laughs> um, I've got another one. Have you got any more, Chris? No. Uh, mine is, is it two films in which the protagonists are quite happy to have hardcore pornography on in the background while they go about their daily routine? <laughs> no, but it's a bit scary. Kind I of. mean, I could have listed a bunch of connections between them, but I think it's it's it's... For want of a better word, moribund to hey, do that with these two. Hey, nice. don't take the fun out of the connections game. <laughs> Vicky's just warmed up to this part of the show. <laughs> That's true. Actually. I'm enjoying it now a lot. I don't know what's changed. I would have taken why well, I'm no longer talking to white people about being nice to each other. Uh, but the actual connection is a little bit simpler than that. It's just um, Brett Easton Ellis adaptations, Ellis adaptations featuring the Bateman brothers. Uh, Patrick Bateman is Sean Bateman's older brother. Patrick Bateman in American Psycho. Sean Bateman being in The Rules of Attraction. I didn't, get, I didn't get the first connection. Chris looked at me and I looked at him and we both went, sorry, what? Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> are, are, are we bad for not getting that? What was the first one? It's why I'm no longer talking to white people about being nice to each other. You just look it up later. It's right. fine. Yeah, I don't understand. No. Okay. Anyway, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're with a couple of Philistines in here. <laughs> Knuckle dragging men. What are you talking about? It's true. Um, Cool. Do you want me to start? You just tell me when you want me to go because I think I had American Psycho. I certainly hope I did because yeah. that's what I've done all my notes on. Yeah, fittingly you did, yeah. Don't say fittingly. All right, fine. Don't. Not fittingly you did. <laughs> Unfittingly. No, just not. There's no, there's no correct. Let's just do this now because I'm worried it's going to come up. If not from you, then from Chris. I'm nervous about at any point during this show you trying to draw similarities between me and Patrick Bateman, either of you. That's as much as I've got, to be honestly. The the reason the reason I'm doing the quiz this week is there was talk of, of us doing the psychopath test with you for real. <laughs> and that being this week's quiz. But then we were so concerned about what the result would be, we've gone to something a little more yeah, we had to unpleasant. Show a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? God's honest truth. He's gonna he's gonna be he's Wait, gonna... sorry, it's worse than the psychopath test. No, I've gone for something very simple. Okay, good. Yeah. Good, and, good, and... good. All right, that's it. No more. We yeah. won't draw any more comparisons. That's great because obviously now there's an air of tension in the room that is going to last for the entire show. No, I've just got to throw away one page of A4. <laughs> that's, that's fine. I feel there have been conversations and that makes me paranoid. You're making me paranoid. I feel paranoid now. I hate you both. That's a good sign if you feel something. Yeah. <laughs> Die. <laughs> um, all right, then. So uh, I'll do my introduction for 2000's American Psycho. And having noticed that Chris has really taken a, a backseat on doing his introductions properly uh, for a while. I mean, I know he tried last week, but there's been a lot of Wikipedia entries and robot voices. <laughs> and just a, a real sort of lack of commitment to the intros. I thought, why the hell am I working so fucking hard? So here's my intro this week for 
American Psycho. Thank you very much. Fun fact, they tried to get the rights to Talking Heads and they couldn't afford them for this film. Yeah, fun fact that Huey Lewis and the News refused them to use Hip to be Square on the soundtrack because not, as was revealed, they didn't like the content of the film because they didn't ask them. Oh, (laughs) that's usually the reason. Yeah, Um, fun fact, Whitney Houston uh, was asked and said no to using her song. Um, The greatest love of all. Thank you very much. See, yeah, good. So they had to use an orchestral version. Right then, American Psycho. Uh, it is, in terms of background, a novel uh, written by Brett Easton Ellis in 1991. A novel that people told him would end his career. I mean, he hangs out with real glasses, half-empty people. Original publishers refused to publish it uh, because of the content. It was picked up by another publishers after release. And once it was released, Ellis received numerous death threats and hate mail because of its content. Uh, The one good review in the national press, as he called it, was from the Los Angeles Times, uh, which then resulted in a three-page letter section of all the people cancelling their subscription to the newspaper. It was a controversial book. Have either of you read it? Yes. No, I didn't read it on principle. I heard a few things about it and thought, I don't ever want to read this. I don't need these images in my head. Mm Mm-hmm. I read it um, while I was on my own doing a little mini stand-up tour of uh, the West Country and I was sitting on my own and I had to keep putting it down and just looking round as I was reading it because <laughs> I felt so aware that people knew the horrors that I was reading and it was making me very self-conscious in Starbucks. It's a really, really graphic book. And I'd forgotten. So I knew, like you did, I was like, and even though I'd read it, I couldn't remember I reread some passages from it in preparation for the show. So, I can't believe I even read it. It's so <laughs> horrific. Do you remember it? Yeah, I, I remember the bits that aren't in the film, predictably. Yeah. The rat bit. The rat. The, the rat. rat. Yeah. See someone talking about the rat, and yeah. I thought, I'm not reading that. Yeah, I read it this morning, and uh. Uh, I tried to read it to uh, my other half, and she went, she went <laughs> no, can you absolutely stop talking immediately? <laughs> I've got stuff to do today. and now. Why I... were you trying to read it to her? Because I think if I've been afflicted by something, everyone should be <laughs> afflicted by it. Anyway, uh, it was bought, uh, the rights were bought by uh, a kind of uber producer in Hollywood called Edward R. Pressman. Uh, I just want to read some of the movies that he's produced because it reads like the most beautiful eclectic list in the world. And also... That's what I was talking about, the guy I interviewed yeah. earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's produced, listen to this, Badlands, Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer, Masters of the Universe... Wall Street, The Crow, Street Fighter, Judge Dredd, The Island of Dr. Moreau, Thank You for Smoking, and the brilliant Nicolas Cage Werner Herzog movie, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call New Orleans, which, I mean, at least six of those movies are future episodes of Clash of the Titans. Yeah, or some of them already have been. Yeah, I know. <laughs> He's our guy. So have a listen to this. Uh, at one point, when they came to getting a director and a star on board for this, at one point, it was going to star Johnny Depp as Patrick Bateman, and be directed, and this got me so excited. I know it did. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that was coming. <laughs> the guy who directed freaking Robot, Robot Jocks. <laughs> Stuart Gordon, who also did Fortress with Christopher Lambert. It's like, wow, Stuart Gordon. He passed. Um, then David Cronenberg was going to direct it uh, with Brett Easton Ellis writing the script. Uh, this, is quite, this is quite a fact. Um, Brett Easton Ellis uh, said that the script that he uh, handed in for David Cronenberg 
involved an elaborate musical sequence on top of the World Trade Center at the very end to Barry Manilow's Daybreak. Um, I looked up Barry Manilow's Daybreak. Mm, I know it not. Right. If you can imagine having witnessed everything you've seen in the film and then it ends with this. Um, Brett Easterler says, I'm glad it wasn't shot, but that kind of shows you where I was at when I was writing the script. I was bored. <laughs> Screenwriter Vicky, uh, um, Cronenberg told Ellis that he didn't want the script to be longer than 75 pages. Really? Yeah, he said 60 to 75 pages, please, because it takes me uh, two minutes to shoot one page of I think, because you know, I think everything in the world is 20 minutes too long. So mm. I think if that attitude develops any further, everything I do will just get shorter and shorter <laughs> and shorter until I'm just turning in a blank page that says like, do what you will. And <laughs> please can I get paid? <laughs> um, so after Cronenberg leaves, uh, Mary Harron is brought on and she is the one who casts Christian Bale in a career making role. Can uh, I can I jump in there? Yeah, of course. Um, because she, well, first she wanted Billy Crudup, and then she settled on Christian Bale. But then the DiCaprio thing happened. Right. So I've got that. Yeah. The go DiCaprio for it. thing is where it gets really interesting because it's picked up by Lionsgate, who go right. We're going to distribute this. Um, uh, Bale and Harron were given uh, the six to ten million dollar budget, but even though they've been given that, Lionsgate then go, hmm, Christian Bale's not famous enough. We don't want him. We want either Edward Norton or Leonardo DiCaprio. Harron uh, said she wouldn't meet Leonardo DiCaprio because he was too boyish for the role. He'd just come off the back of Romeo and Juliet and Titanic. She said, she said he wouldn't be credible as one of those tough Wall Street guys, which is funny because he won an Oscar, did he, for playing one of them? So I, I, Or he got nominated anyway. Yeah, he got nominated for The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, but I agree with her because, mm. I mean, we are, I've worked it out, we are 15 years away from... The Wolf of Wall Street, and 10 years off from Shutter Island, which I think is a real turning point in his career, Leonardo DiCaprio. So I think he would have been too boy. Yeah, she said he brought way too much baggage. I didn't want to deal with someone who had 13-year-old uh, fan base. They shouldn't see the movie. Um, it could have gotten us in lots of trouble. Fair. I think it's probably quite yeah. responsible. Yeah, it is. Um, although Lionsgate said that they would increase the budget to $40 million, uh, if DiCaprio was on board to pay his $21 million salary. <laughs> Um, he wanted another director, and it was Oliver Stone who um, came on board. He'd suggested Oliver Stone, Danny Ball, and Martin Scorsese. Uh, and when Mary Harron heard that Oliver Stone was coming on board, and I love the fact that she uses the word single twice in this quote, probably the single worst single person to do it. <laughs> um, him and DiCaprio, Stone and DiCaprio, couldn't agree on the tone. DiCaprio departs to do the beach. Um, Lionsgate then still aren't having bail. They approach Ewan McGregor. And go, would he do it? He turns it down at the request of his friend Christian Bale. And then eventually Harren and Bale are brought back on. 40 million disappears. Back to 10 million. And they get to make the movie they want. So that is how American Psycho came to be made. And that was when Bale was doing the body transformation. Even for the year that he didn't have the part, he was still <laughs> working out every day. He said his friends thought he was crazy because DiCaprio was playing the role. But he he just said he knew that he was he was destined to play that role. Yeah. And... um. Uh, Brett Easton Ellis tells a funny story that when he um he met with Christian Bale for the first time about the role, Christian Bale turned up in character. Right. And the interviewer said, um, did that freak you out? And Ellis said, that was in 1998, I think. I didn't have an issue with Christian Bale doing that at the time. 
It was just seriously unnerving. I was in a restaurant with someone pretending to be this monster that I created. I just wanted him to stop. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's that is kind of crazy. I mean, it was uh, he turned down roles that he was offered for nine months um, because he was sure DiCaprio would walk, which worked out in the end. And like you say, he was working out. I mean, it is the darkest thing about the pre-production of this, uh, possibly darker than anything in the film itself, is that to prepare for the role, are you ready for this? Bale spent several months working out for three hours a day. I mean, fuck. No, that's not that much. That's awful. Can you imagine having to work out for three hours a day? Is this a joke? No. I can't imagine doing that. Athletes do a lot more than that a day. Do they? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that. It's not that bad if you're getting paid for it. It's insane. I'm doing. I know. I know. Like all day. Not thirty minutes, Chris. Not three minutes. Three hours. (laughs) I'm doing two hours at the moment a day. Shut up. I am genuinely. Is that a joke? No, I did two hours this morning. What? I mean, I don't look like Christian Bale in American Psycho. I think you've heard this. I then, I then went straight to McDonald's after the gym. That's, you've earned that's it. how my day it's went. Fine. Yeah, but how long were you really in the gym? Two hours, yeah. Shut up! I did an hour on, a mach- on, on cardio watching a thing on Netflix, watching a documentary. Vicky, tell him to stop messing about. We're doing a show. Let's see what he looks like in nine months. You don't know, do you? Am I pregnant? <laughs> Very specific. Um, wow, that's um, that's crazy. Two hours, Chris. Congratulations. That's, I'm honestly, I'm just taking a moment here. That's, uh... You're weirding me out now. <laughs> um, so that's how we got made. Chris, have you got anything to add, Vicky? Have I covered everything in terms of the pre-production to American Psycho? I would say so. Jean. Yes, Patrick. Would you like to accompany me to dinner? Sabrina, why don't you dance a little? Christy, get down on your knees. What do you do? I'm into, uh, well, murders and executions mostly. I have all the characteristics of a human being, but not a single clear identifiable emotion. I simply am not there. Okay, uh, shall we move on to the plot then? Yes. Patrick Bateman is the vice president of a Wall Street stockbrokers. Uh, he's very wealthy. Um, He's the vice president. He doesn't seem to do any work uh, throughout the movie, which I love. But then it's revealed that his dad practically owns the company. His dad never appears in the film, but we're told that. Um, He does a really good job of appearing normal. But in reality, he is a psychopath who is less mergers and acquisitions and more murders and executions. Great line in (laughs) the film. Borrowed from the book. Um, A good... Uh, a good way of uh, explaining uh, who he is is that we learn a lot about his facial routine, uh, how many crunches he can do, uh, his appreciation of Huey Lewis in the news, and how he murders prostitutes and co-workers and indeed some friends. Now, there are three possible ways to look at what we see in this movie. One is that it was all a fantasy and that he imagined all the murders and none were committed. They were all in his deluded mind. Two, he actually kills everyone except Jared Leto's character, Paul Allen. And the third option is that he kills everyone, including Paul Allen. And that is the plot of American Psycho. Am I right? I, yeah, you're right. But also the, uh, Jared Leto's Paul Allen, the line that makes you think he wasn't killed is that, um, Patrick Bateman's lawyer said, I saw Paul Allen in London. Yes. But isn't that meant to play on the fact that all these men are interchangeable? Absolutely, yeah. 
So he could be dead as well. Paul or Allen he, could be dead. That was, Paul, my, yeah. that was my second option. He killed a third option. He killed everyone, including Paul Allen. What if he killed Paul Allen, but not the girls? Yeah, that's not an option I've come up with. Right. Oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> he could have done, couldn't he? Mm, no. Why? Because Oh, yeah. No, he could have. Well, no, that's the first, that's included in the first option. He killed no one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. That's covered it, right? I think so. That's every option. Yeah. And also, it doesn't matter. Pa- um, Brett Easton Ellis says he doesn't know. So it's not important that you know. Is it, but is it, well, it's up to us though, isn't it? No, yeah. He can have intention, but is it, is it the same ambiguity in the book? Yes. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's my memory of it, but it's a difficult book because it's so graphic and intense and um, it's such an odd experience reading it. You don't, I didn't feel like I had time to think about those things until it was like with a bit of distance. And then watching the film, you sort of project that onto the film. So. It's not quite the same ambiguity as in the book, because in the book, the, the whole idea of him being this unreliable narrator mm. and, and Brett Easton Ellis himself said, well, while the book attempted to add ambiguity to the events and to Bateman's reliability as narrator, the film com- appeared to make them completely literal, uh, all the actions he does before just totally confusing them at the end. Right. So the ambiguity of the book is kind of quite subtle. And at the end, it's sort of, you're really overloaded with, but what if? Yeah. And even Mary Harron herself said, um, neither her nor Guinevere Turner, her co-writer on the movie, uh, she said they don't love the ending because it's too ambiguous and they don't love the fact that people walk away from the story wondering if it is all a dream. They want to make everyone very clear, Patrick Bateman is most definitely a serial killer. Oh, okay, and and yeah, yeah. So I, I listened to her her commentary on the film, and it was quite interesting. It it does feel like they were trying to present it all pretty much as fact until we get to those scenes towards the end, um, you know, where the the bank machine starts talking to him, and and in that scene, <laughs> um, she says, "From this point on, you should not trust anything." Yeah, and she talks about the fact that with you, you know, when he returns to Paul Allen's apartment, yeah, and he can't find the bodies. Yeah, she said that she feels like they made a mistake with that scene in terms of having it repainted so it looked completely different and viewers weren't sure where he was. Where they were. Yeah, yeah they weren't they, they didn't immediately identify it as Paul Allen's apartment. And so it just all and, and, and then what was that real estate woman up to? Because yeah. it's quite strange their interaction. And so it is a film I think this is the third time I've watched it. I do it does send me round in circles. Which I find frustrating, although if that's the intention, then so be it. It just can be quite a frustrating thing to watch if you're trying to make up your own mind and ultimately it doesn't matter. So am I just wasting my time trying to follow what's occurring on screen? Do you know what it is? I think it's that they, it's, I think it's, it just all happens too late in the film. Like, I think there's too many red herrings and questions asked of like his reliability and whether this happened in such a short space of time that I feel the ending is rushed. Like when it actually ends, mm. it feels like you're on a, a roller coaster and something else is going to happen. There's going to be some more information thrown your way. And then it's just like that. It's, it's gone. And I, I, I feel that the ending is rushed. And, and famously, um, I don't know if you've got this, Alex, but uh, Willem Dafoe as the, as the detective mm, Kimball. investigating uh, the, the way he was directed. Do you, do you have that? No, I don't know. OK, so, so they would shoot each. I of mean, his... sorry. Yeah, I do. I, I do. But I think I think in this instance, you'd be better saying it because I just thought I think it comes better from from you. But I definitely have those notes <laughs> <laughs> uh, in each of those scenes that Willem Dafoe plays the detective. She asked she shot them three different ways. 
first time she asks Willem to act as if he does know that he's the killer. Uh, the second time he doesn't know that he's the killer. The third time he isn't sure. So that's why you got these. And I don't, she didn't actually say which take she used, but that's why it's just, I think that feels like their approach to the entire movie, mm. which I don't know. Is it pointless us watching it then? If, no, I, if, if they don't know what, what, what I, they're trying to say. I think they do. Well, I mean, that's that's uh, that's information that you, you, I knew, but I've I've just heard again, so I'm reacting to it like I've not heard it, but I definitely knew that. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, I think they just didn't do it as well as they'd hoped to. Like Guinevere Turner says, um, when he shoots the car and explodes, the bit where it all kicks off, and you're like, and like yeah. Mary Heron says, that's the point where you shouldn't trust any information. Uh, Guinevere Turner says, um, when he shoots the car and it explodes, even for a second, he's like, huh. Because even he is starting to believe that his perception of reality cannot be right. And as he goes more crazy, you actually see what becomes, uh, what you actually see becomes more distorted and harder to <laughs> figure out. But it's meant to be that he really is killing all these people. It's just that he's probably not as nicely dressed. It probably didn't go as smoothly. And he is perceiving it as he's <laughs> perceiving it to go. And the hookers probably weren't as hot. Etc. 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 It's just Bateman's fantasy world. So it does seem like, in in hindsight, they both are saying he did everything, he killed everyone, and we shouldn't have made it as ambiguous as we did. Okay. Well, there are are allusions to the fact that maybe he isn't this uh, muscular, handsome dude in a suit. That he's a bit of a wimp from the way people talk to him and treat him. Oh, you mean the way he even sees himself is a yes, fantasy? I'd never considered oh, that. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, they talked about, and I think Christian Bale talks about this as well, that he saw um, uh, Patrick Bateman as like an alien who's just arrived on Earth. And so he doesn't know how to do sex. So he watches porn films. He doesn't know how to kill some, someone. So he puts on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, And so he's just, it's literally him trying to learn how to do these things while he's on Earth. That would explain one of my favourite lines in the movie then, because I, I had to rewind it twice to learn what he actually says because i've never heard the expression you've heard white trash before mm -hmm. but when uh he's biting christy the prostitute's leg when he's covered in blood and he's running around naked just before he kills her with a chainsaw and she's in the bathroom at paul allen's yeah and he's he runs in and starts biting a leg and she boots him in the face yeah and he goes not the fucking face you piece of bitch trash <laughs> and i'm like bitch trash i've never heard that before writing it down <laughs> <laughs> yeah look Block capitals <laughs> using that. <laughs> you piece of bitch trash, Chris. <laughs> uh, but ultimately, this is, of course, this is Brett Easton Leslie's it's, it's his attack on <laughs> consumer culture of the 1980s and on Wall Street. And in fact, in um, I only read the first third of The Psychopath Test by John Ronson. Yep. But he does talk about part of the reason for writing that book was figuring out the similarities between Wall Street workers and serial killers. And if they were essentially the same very person. similar. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's the underlying theme of this, of the book and the film, mm. is it not? Yeah, it is. It's, it is. It's, it's a beautiful period piece as well, though. I mean, it really does. Like, from the minute you get going, I'm sure you appreciate this. And since, since we've been talking about writing, Vicky, and since I've really got to reconnect with you, I've started watching films in a way of respecting how lean the storytelling is. Yeah. And I love the fact that at the start of this, by the time we get to uh, it saying, directed by Mary Harron on screen, in that restaurant at the start and the conversation they're having, you have captured like so much. Yeah. In, in like inside four minutes, 
you have the period, the wealth, the decadence, the pretension, and you also establish that running theme of not knowing who anyone is because yeah. they think Paul Allen's there and it's not even fucking Paul yeah. Allen. And they never look at each other or they rarely like connect, like make eye contact. So they, he's got a group of buddies, but they're not really friends and they just sit around tables drinking constantly, which was admirable of their stamina, to be mm. honest. Um, but then they're 27, so fine. I, I even love the uh, the imagery over the opening credits, which she had to beg the studio for additional money to shoot it. And it's um, it looks like blood dripping, mm. but it's actually raspberry sauce dropping. Oh, yeah. And so immediately it's setting out its stallers thinking, oh, this is a horror. No, it's it's a comedy. Yeah. It's is... a, it was a lot funnier than I remember it being. I remember mm. it being like shocking and whatever else. And like a lot of the scenes are still found very disturbing like when he's chasing Christy and he's completely naked but he's got really pristine white trainers on because yeah. I think he's also wearing white so- I don't know it's the white sock thing which <laughs> as I've said to you a million times and now they look good don't they Mary Howard is also listening a man running after you in, in white footwear of any description is terrifying mm. it's the bit in that scene for me it's the bit where he's leaning over oh, the banister and he's about to drop it but he you know when you see a lizard and for no no sound comes out, but it opens and closes its mouth, and it's just where he does it twice. He goes, oh, and he's, as he's looking at her, when you I've never noticed it before, but I'm like, it's so reptilian, it's terrifying. It's really, really terrifying. Um, Justin Theroux didn't realize it was him until rewatching it this time. No, neither did I. Like, the guy who does all the comedies. Yeah, he's uh, really good in this. He's great in this as Bryce. Really <laughs> I good. love his dancing at the start when they go to the club. Yeah, you've got all these Wall Street bankers in a very cool 1980s New York club and they're trying to dance cool and they can't and his is just a really awkward like robot. Yeah. Do you think the world has changed? Like what I couldn't believe is it's set in the late 80s, early 90s, but there are so many things that are still applicable that when I read the book, they weren't as applicable. So it's sort of come back round. Mm. So the elaborate menus for the restaurants, like how many times have you been to like a fun pop-up restaurant and the menu has come to you on like the back of someone's jacket or whatever it is yeah. and being served drinks in elaborate vessels. Like I know it's died, it's died a little bit, but like how many times have you been at like a street market thing and someone's like, do you want a cocktail out of an old fucking light bulb or yeah. whatever And it even is. the description of the food that the waiter gives at the start where, yeah. he's, where he's like, Sounds uh, delicious. we have squid ravioli in a lemongrass broth. That's normal uh, food now. Right, that is, exactly. <laughs> That's everywhere. It does sound you, can nice. get, you can get that at Weatherspoons. Yeah, yeah. And it does sound lovely. <laughs> it is. I'm hungry now. Yeah. I don't like the bit at the start. It reminded me of that. Have you seen the Eddie Izzard uh, stand-up uh, Dress to Kill? The yes. bit The bit at the start where the waiter goes... And we have herb fries. Oh, and yeah, I'm like, yeah. don't, don't put the word herb in the first bit of dialogue in your movie when you know it's going to be released in the UK. Because it's the Eddie Izzard joke where he goes, where he goes, uh, and you say herb, whereas we say herb because there's a fucking H in it. I couldn't stop thinking about that. Um, so what else uh, is there to really talk about the plot? It's like murder, 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 murder. Cat in a cash machine. You like that bit a lot, don't you? I, it's, I don't find it that horrifying. But... I love it. Do you know why I love that scene? I mean, it's, it's going to come up later when we get to the best scene, but I, I'll just Which give you're it... in charge of, by the way. Don't oh, forget. okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you, let's jump to our bits then. I mean, I that think... Would be, that would be good. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. You know, this isn't meant to be a fucking test, right? It's not really if, you, if you think at some point we should get onto the bit, any you can just sort of give me That's a little. I did, I did, the, I was doing that a minute ago, but you weren't seeing it. I thought you were working out again. <laughs> is that the wrap up? Does that mean move it on? This is, people can't see that. Okay. It looked like Chris. I'm giving him the finger. Oh, God. I'm going to tell you the rap bit in the pub afterwards. 
Uh, <laughs> I've got a fact about the rabbit. Have you really? Um, it's Brett Easton Ellis said he based it on uh, something the Marquis de Sade used to do with mice. So it really, it probably really oh, happened. Oh, that makes it even yeah. sexier. And if, and, if, <laughs> and if you haven't read the book uh, and you don't know what the rat bit is, we're not going to tell you now. You can Google it. It's fucking horrendous. It's awful. but And it, it goes on, in my memory, it goes on for about 50 pages. Yeah. Mm, it's, it's, it's extensive and it talks about starving the rat beforehand. Oh, yeah. And uh, the fact that he doesn't need to use a coat hanger that he'd made to, anyway. Uh, Good, good, good. Um, so let's do uh, your MVW, your most valuable whatever. Chris. Um, I thought there were lots of good performances in this one. I think Clone Sevigny is fantastic, bringing humanity to that character. I love Theroux. I think Defoe's great. But I'm going to go for Bale as Bateman. Um, I love his performance in this. He really feels like he's reveling in it. He obviously knows this is a big moment for his career where he can completely shift the trajectory he's on. And um, I love uh, Mary Harron talks about the fact that he um, he based his performance on uh, a Tom Cruise appearance on David Letterman. And she said what he saw in, in Cruise was intense friendliness with nothing behind the eyes. <laughs> and that's what uh, that's what he went for with this performance. And she she said she called him robo actor at one point because she said he could break into sweat at the same point of each take. Really? <laughs> I don't know if that's real. No. But, um, but she she felt like that's what he was doing. So um, Matt Ross, who's in the, an actor who's in the film, he said that Bale stayed in character for much of the film. I think you have to. It's disturbing, though. You wouldn't want to be around that, would you? Obviously, Brett Easton Ellis didn't like even having dinner with, <laughs> with him. Um, and actually, funny you should say that. Just, just going back to one thing. You know, you, you mentioned about the fact that he... Um, he told Ewan McGregor that he wanted the role. He didn't want him to take it. Um, he was asked about that. He said, absolutely. I phoned a few people and let them know my commitment. Let me tell you, I called them and told them that it was my role. Don't touch. Step away. <laughs> or if you're not going to step away, understand what you're up against. Cool. Uh, it's frightening. <laughs> I think he spent too much time uh, wow. in <laughs> as this character. But um, yeah, I think it completely works the role. So I'm going Christian Bale. Vicky? Uh, I would say Christian Bale's personal trainer, whoever that was, because mm. that is not a problem to be looking at that on screen. Mm. Lovely. Do a thousand crunches. Do whatever you need to do. Mm. Um, also, his um, beauty I mean, routine. You, would you forgive a man who looked that good for looking at his muscles in the mirror while making love? Making love. You're yeah. sweet. Yeah. Um, no, but still, I would be. Um, would I be glad to be there? Don't know. Depends. <laughs> He's got that drawer full of coat hangers. That's never good, is it? So I was like, I thought we'd try this. No, 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 no. Thank you. Just keep kissing that bicep. <laughs> yeah, if if it's down. a choice between the two, obviously. Um, I really like Samantha Mathis as Courtney, who is the woman he's having an affair with, who's always like, out of her head on Xanax, mm. and she just can't. She wants, she's got such clear desire, but it isn't for anything that anyone is offering her. And she just says, and it's this really like melting moment where they're in a cabin. She's like, I just want a child. Mm. And it's lovely and really sad. And obviously she would be, uh, and maybe she's not in the best state to be a mother at that point or a parent of anything. But it just, uh, it's just like a rare glimpse of like actual humanity in amidst all this mad materialistic murder. Both her and um Lewis, her fiance, disappear yeah. like at about two thirds yeah, into the I film. Yeah, I thought, does Courtney not commit suicide? Well, it's not clear because she says, if I don't see you again, Patrick, something, something, something. But, yeah. And then she disappears, but it's never, it's, yeah. ne it's never made clear. And I can't remember what happens in the book. So I don't know. Um, Alex, who's yours? Christine Bale. Yeah, 100%. I mm. mean, I think here, I mean, just to sort of look at what he'd done beforehand, this was a real, like, a, a real calling card uh, for him. And um, 
and then, I mean, this is two years before sort of Reign of Fire, Equilibrium, The Machinist, and then obviously Batman begins in 2005. But you can see, like, obviously the transformation and the commitment to that role. You can see a guy who's going to go on and win an Oscar and be nominated multiple times and probably have to stop at some point, which I think he has now, of doing that kind of shit to his body because his doctor said, stop doing it after Vice. Um, was it Vice? Yeah. Yeah, it was Vice, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just think he's incredible in it and he's hilarious. He's, his performance... Mm-hmm is so funny. And when you know that Leonardo DiCaprio was up for it, you can kind of see the Leo we have now doing an equally good mm. performance. Yeah. yeah. But back then, I, I think he just, he, he nails it. Uh, how about best scene? Uh, for me, it's when he kills Paul Allen, played by Jared Leto. Uh, they, Mary Harron said that he played it like he was on ecstasy. Like he's <laughs> so happy to be doing this. And uh, the dance that he does was not in the script. <laughs> he brought that dance to the table, including the crappy moonwalk he does. Yeah. Um, I like that scene as well because I love the song, or I used to anyway, love the song Hip To Be Square. And Four oh was one of my Sorry. all-time favourite albums throughout the 80s. I loved that album. Every track on it. Um, I like the way the scene ends, that there's blood, and this was just by chance, there's blood only on one side of his face and not the other. So he looks like he's covered in blood. And then when he sits down, there's no blood on his face. So there's like, it's almost like a, a visual representation of his, his schizophrenia. And it's the scene that's sort of um, gone into pop culture. Uh, Vogue recently did a spoof of it starring Margot Robbie. Funny or Die did a spoof of it with Huey Lewis and Weird Al Yankovic. American Dad did a spoof of it. So <laughs> I think that, that one scene has taken on a life of its own. So I, I love that one best. I like the scene where he's going to kill his secretary. Jay, is she called Jane? Um, but he doesn't. And they have that mm. misunderstanding, but kind of on purpose, where they're talking about like the romantic, dramatic conversations that can play out when you are purposely playing around with that language. So she, he's like, I, I won't be able to control myself if you stay. And she thinks that means something like fantastically romantic and like sexual. But he doesn't mean that. He means I'm going to put a nail gun through yeah. your head. And she's like, and then he says, but you don't want to get hurt. And she's like, no, I don't want to get bruised. And it's like, but it's she in any other hands, it could have been like, oh, God, shut up. But she does it. But you, you feel like you get it with her. And I don't I'm not quite clear why he's sparing her. But I like the fact that he does. And I like the fact that they have this. Um... I don't think he is going to spare. I think just a, doesn't the phone go off? Yeah, but who cares? And that spoils the moment for him. So I, I, I don't think he's he's had a crisis of conscience there. Or is it because the phone rings and it's Reese Witherspoon as his fiance saying, "I hope you're not with anyone else because you're mine." Da da da. And then he can see that um, his secretary was genuinely attracted to him and thought that she tonight was going to be the night. And maybe he's touched by that, like someone actually likes him because mm. Reese Witherspoon doesn't like him, um, and no one likes him. So maybe he was just yeah, a maybe. little bit charmed. But charm's the wrong word. That's yeah. weird. Um, and thinks, no, I won't. Um, it's genuinely tense that scene the first time you watch it as well, yeah. because in in a couple of short <clears throat> moments, you really you really start to care for her character, and yeah. so you you do you don't want to die, and it looks like she's going to. Which is weird because there was a marketing campaign that they did uh, in two thousand for this, which involved uh, you could subscribe and get emails from Patrick Bateman that were meant to be addressed to his therapist. And uh, Christine Bell hated this marketing campaign, and like when you think about it, it really screams, "What's this new thing? The internet? Let's use that for a marketing." <laughs> thing and it includes emails and they're set after the movie so it's emails where he's got married to Jean his secretary and they're getting um, divorced and there's a settlement and it's like what 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 thinking is that to not only do that and have your protagonist emailing you like but to set it after the events of the film so you know that Jean hasn't died when you're watching that scene 
Some marketing idiot. Right? <laughs> this yeah. is crazy. I'm just like, what? Some stupid little toe rag. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you know words. him. <laughs> strong words. Um, what about you, Alex? Uh, weirdly, though, just on that scene very quickly, a lot of the reviews, because it really it sort of divided critics. People either loved it or hated it at the time, but a lot of reviews that didn't like it call out that scene as one of the nice scenes in the movie because it's got a little bit of humanity yeah. in it. And um, it's a breath of fresh air in an otherwise cold and unforgiving film. I've got three. Uh, the first one is the same as you, Chris. It's Paul Allen's death, um, dancing to Huey Lewis in the news. The second one is the laundrette scene where he's screaming at the <laughs> owner of the laundrette and she's speaking in a foreign language and he can't understand her. And he's got this cigar in his hand and leather gloves on and these sheets covered in blood. And he does this sort of like weird thing with his hands where he waves them frantically and he goes, I cannot understand what you're saying. And I think that's fantastic. Uh, but my favourite scene, as Vicky pointed out earlier, is to feed me a stray cat <laughs> when the ATM tells him to feed it a stray, a stray cat. And there's a cat right by him and he picks it up and he starts pushing it into the machine, into the card slot. And then it cuts and he's got the gun pressed against its head. And I just love that moment because it's just such a weird moment, like as though the cat would go, I'm not going in that machine and would understand that it's had a gun pulled on it and go, whoa. You got a gun. All right, Let I'll get in there. I'll try and crawl into the card slot. I think that's great. So, yeah, that's my favourite scene. Big change. What would you change? Is there a big change? Is there a change, Vicky? Tiny change. I would like to see inside the restaurant doors here so I can see what the fuss was about. Like, have it as a sort of paradise that you walk past but you never get to see in. So... Uh, have you been to Dorsey? <laughs> Mary Heron talked about it on the commentary and right. she said A, we didn't really have the budget to make the perfect restaurant okay. and B, we didn't know even if we did if we could create that yeah. and so we ended up creating these other restaurants and having that as some the dream but actually we just didn't know if we could present that on screen yeah. so I can see where she's coming from but yeah, it's frustrating and see, um, uh, Canadians against violence in movies. I think this was shot in Canada and the Canadian uh, a, a campaign group that was against violence in movies uh, petitioned restaurants not to let them shoot in oh loads of their restaurants because of the violence in the film. Okay. Yeah, the book had been found in the, in the home of a convicted murderer just before they started shooting the film in, in, in Canada. And yeah. so that sort of whipped up uh, that group. Was it all but, they found? Like they went into his house and there was just nothing but one book. It was one of these things, though, <laughs> where they said, they said um, he, uh, like the press were like, he read it like a Bible. It was okay. his Bible. And then it emerged later that he'd never read it and it was his wife's. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, notes under what I would change. I've, I've got loads of notes about the ambiguity and where I got confused, but I'm going to scratch all that because it doesn't matter. I would like to see a version of this film where Tom Cruise played Patrick Bateman. But it's his character. I, I know I've gone about this character, but it's the Magnolia Tom Cruise. So I feel like we've seen that sort of person, like, you know, a lunatic and... Very forthright, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I don't, I get it, but okay, uh, I'll take that back. Oh wait, is no, he allowed to change? Oh, I don't know. Is it is it right or wrong answer? I, well, I mean, it seems like this is how Chris would operate. You've said it now, that's so true. I that's haven't it. got anything else though. But that's it. Oh, well, I'm withdrawing it. I've been told off. So <laughs> mine then would be him. I would take take out the scene where he kills the homeless guy and the dog and his dog. <gasps> I and... knew you'd say that. You're so squeamish about stuff like so. You don't mind, however many women heads on sticks or whatever, 
but someone kicks a dog. Mm. He stamps on the dog and yeah, it squeals. It's awful. Yeah, it's awful. It's really unnecessary. It, it, no, but that dog was asking for it. <laughs> you think so? Look it did at, nothing to protect his honour, Looking that homeless it? man. Yeah. Yeah. My, my actually thinking was, in a desire not to loathe our protagonist, in case there are any similarities that I might discover between myself and him later in the film, I, I could take that scene out because it actually makes me hate him because it's an awful scene. Yeah. But if, if that scene was excised, I'm like, he's all right. He seems to be doing okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, that's uh, that's everything I have on American Psycho. Oh, uh, no, I do have a bit of trivia. There was an American Psycho too. There was, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Starring Mila Kunis, uh, where Christian... And William Shatner. Really? Is Shatner in it? Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was... Um, they basically had a script that no one was going to watch and they did a full-on Cloverfield on it where they... You know, they added Cloverfield to 10 Cloverfield Lane and uh, the Cloverfield Paradox scripts unrelated to the Cloverfield universe. They put a monster in it and went, hey, it's Cloverfield. Uh, but they, or Die Hard 4 is another good example. That was the um, 24 movie script. And then they just went, yeah, we're not going to do a 24, hour, uh, 24 movie now. So uh, just call it Die Hard 4, change it from <laughs> Jack to John. Um, but yeah, so they did that with it. Uh, Kunis, Michael Kunis uh, said of the film, please somebody stop this. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah, Patrick Damon, Bateman is killed at the start, which is awful by a kid, and you're like, nope. Uh, but it was directed by Morgan Freeman. Really? Mm, yeah. Morgan J. Freeman, who also directed Dawson's Creek, among other things. Oh, interesting. Yep. <laughs> yep. Which is a nice connection yes. to this. So, yeah, it was American Psycho 2, All American Girl, and the tagline was angrier, deadlier, sexier. Brilliant. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. I learned something. Um, you know when he's running around naked trying to kill Christy with a chainsaw? Between takes, Christian Bale was like, it's okay, I'm cool. And he just put a sock over his penis. He didn't have a guard on? No. When he was shooting those scenes? I don't know about when he was running around with a chainsaw, but between takes, he was happy to stand there with a sock on it. Maybe he insisted on the sock. I don't know. Like the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> I don't even know if it's true. Sorry, is it bad that he had the sock on? Um, I thought you wore like a cup or a box or something. I wonder if someone <laughs> sa- I think it's context. If someone says, oh, Christian, we've got a gown. No, 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 you're all right. I'll use a sock that I happen to have brought with me. <laughs> then I think it's a problem. If it's a white sock, clearly it's a problem. If the sock was all they had, then fine, like, fair enough. Yeah, I had that experience on a film set. I, I might have talked about this. Selling Skarsgård didn't... I, I went on, on the set of a film where it was a nude scene for him that day. Yeah. Which was weird enough that they invited press, but yeah, he he it didn't weird, he yeah. didn't he didn't want a robe for in between takes. How did he stand? Sorry, like, just sat in a chair apart. naked. <laughs> did he not have a sock either? No, no sock, no, no budget for socks. And then when I went to interview him in his trailer, drawn a face on it. He had a robe on there, but he kind of let his legs drop open, and oh I could see everything <laughs> while I was interviewing him. It was very strange. Yeah, that was just one on one. There's a word for interviews like that. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't say that in court. <laughs> a little ironic thing. Um, Gloria Steinem, the the feminist oh, slash yeah, I activist. Know this. Oh, this is a good fact. Me. Yeah, she was one of the most sort of famous critics of this film and uh, the book and its portrayal of violence towards women when it was published. Aye. And she married Christian Bale's dad. Amazing. Mm. I didn't know that. So when she criticised it, was she his stepmom at that point? Don't think so. I right. think that was before. Okay. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Okay, I, I'm going to do my intro, but it's slightly <laughs> annoying because Alex's intro uh, stole my thunder a little bit. But here we go. Uh, according to the rules of attraction, university is a non-stop orgy of sex and booze and drugs and parties filled with the best-looking people in the world. This was not my experience. <laughs> my time at uni involved freezing my ass off in Yorkshire while not being invited to parties, <laughs> drinking bitter in old man pubs surrounded by locals who hated me, and not getting laid by people as ugly as me. The rules of attraction is therefore a lie. What can I say? I feel bad for you. Not our experience, right, V? Yeah, <laughs> no, I can't relate at all, Kristen. So I pretend to be a vampire. Search for this night's prey. Who will it be? What are the rules of attraction? Tonight's the night. Oh, who's a lucky boy? Sean Bateman. He's a dealer. <laughs> it gets kicking in. Oh, I dude. I only did it with her because I'm in love with you. From the novel by Brett Easton Ellis. Where's my money? He's got it. You bring me my cab! I want to know you. What does that mean? Nobody knows anyone else. She's not ever going to want to see you again. 
Okay, so the rules of attraction. Uh, it was published in 1987 uh, by Eastern Ellis after Less Than Zero, but before American Psycho. So Sean Bateman came before Patrick Bateman. Um, what's your experience of this one? Have you read the book? I've not read the book. I hadn't seen the film. I made, ah. No, I made the connection, but I hadn't seen the film and I just trusted it would be worth talking about. So it's a, f- mm. a first time view for me. And how about you, Alex? And um, This was a book that I didn't read. <laughs> Weird way one of, of saying many, that. Many books <laughs> Fine. This was one of those few books that escaped <laughs> yeah. my grasp. Uh, everything else I've read, just not this one. I um, I saw the movie. So I think I might have told you this already. So this is a movie that was a really special experience for me when I saw it at the cinema because I was at MTV at the time and the movie show we were doing, this was one of the films we had to review and I'd forgotten. I got a call from MTV going, you have to go to this screening. Ran to uh, uh, the screening room. Didn't know the first thing about the movie. Didn't know what it was about. Knew the name and that was it. Not a clue. I thought it was going to be a romantic comedy. So I sat down to watch this. And it's the only film in my life I've ever watched without knowing a single thing beforehand. Ah. And it blew my mind. Blew my mind. It it made it into the top 10 films of all time for me for a short period. Mm. That wasn't my experience of watching it this time. Ooh, mm. interesting. Yeah. Um, so I would, I just started at a magazine called Hot Dog, my first job, and we actually uh, put the Rules of Attraction on the cover, which was quite an unusual move at the time. But I think we were trying to be the more punky rock and roll film magazine. So I used to, I used Donnie to read Darko, Hot Dog. Yeah, put Donnie Darko on the cover, put Rules of Attraction, <laughs> uh, which sort of the bigger magazines maybe wouldn't have done. So we did a lot of coverage on this one. But anyway, uh, let's talk about the story a little bit. Oh, no, let's talk about the background of it. So uh, the book is a non-linear stream of consciousness and it's, best, it's based on Brett Easton Ellis' experiences at college with Camden College in the, in the film and the book standing in for Beddington in Vermont, which is where uh, he went. And he wanted to write a story about campus life, but away from class, so not involving any of the subjects um, and more about how sex can crisscross campus where everyone's sort of interlinked by their relationships or non-relationships as we'll talk about with this with this story um, and now everyone has their own truth and everyone's is different um, it was a difficult book to adapt because of the multiple narrators and they're all unreliable narrators so how do you find a through line through that if you're trying to tell a story um, and uh, originally uh, Alex you might find this interesting the first director of it uh, for which um, Brett Easton Ellis wrote a script was Breck Breck Eisner. Yeah, I know that name. Why do I know that you name? Do. Breck Eisner. Because he left this project to do another film, which you're the only person in the world who likes. <laughs> Star- well, no, wait. Starring... Oh, it's Vicky who likes R.I.P.D. <laughs> starring Matthew McConaughey and Penelope Cruz. <laughs> oh, wait. Penelope Cruz. Wait, what? Not Kate Hudson. We're not talking about... He well, bailed. Breck Eisner play- bailed on this for Sahara. <laughs> oh, that's a good. Jesus, that's a great film. Yeah, he did. Are we doing Sahara soon? I love Sahara. I know you do. Sahara is just very quickly, just because oh, well, it's really quick. Very quick. <laughs> Sahara is still one of the greatest disappointments in my life uh, with cinema that Sahara did not become the franchise it should have become. Rewatch Sahara, everyone, and and tell me that it's not a great movie. Don't. I mean, what I mean is. Except that it's a great movie. Don't come to me and tell me it's not a great movie. <laughs> yeah. Like most people have. 
so the project came to Roger Avery, who was off, coming off the back of uh, working with Tarantino on Pulp Fiction and his own film, uh, Killing Zoe. And he said he felt that he was actually living rules of attraction. So rather than adapting the book directly, he folded in elements from his own life, uh, disassembled it and then recreated it as something new. And I guess that's because he was in the midst of Hollywood adoration off the back of the success of Pulp Fiction and Killing Zoe. And maybe he was having lots of casual sex and lots of strange interactions. And so... Um, you, you gotta throw a maybe in there. <laughs> maybe he was. Maybe s- maybe he wasn't. I said maybe. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Um, and uh, Brett was pretty happy with the results. He said it was finally a filmmaker had had captured my sensibility. He said he took this material from a book of mine that I think is flawed in a lot of ways, elevated it to another realm, and maybe it was because he didn't feel uh, like he needed to be so careful with the material, which I'm sure Mary Harron definitely felt she had to be. Yeah, it's Brett Easton Ellis' favourite of the four film adaptations of his work, isn't it? This is the one yeah. that he yeah. actually loves. Yeah, loves this one. So, uh, should we talk a bit about the plot? Sure, I'm interested to know how you're going to do this, and I was so glad it wasn't my film to talk about, because like, it's like seven different plots? Okay, well, I was going to start <laughs> off by saying... I've got this. It's, it's a lust triangle. I called it a love triangle, and then realised there's actually not a lot of love going on in this film. No. Did the same thing with the intro this morning. Yeah, so uh, it's a lust triangle, or at least seems to be on the surface. And so uh, Sean Bateman is a freshman at Camden College. He's in love with Lauren Hyde. Uh, she's waiting for her boyfriend, Victor, to come back from a European vacation. And Paul... Denton, who used to date Lauren, is exploring his bisexual side and has a crush on Sean. That is how things begin, or we're led to believe that's the situation when things begin. And if, the- if you haven't seen the movie, I'm sure you're completely up to speed with exactly what it's about now, because that's, that's a very concise and constructive way of describing it. So that's the end of the world party is the beginning of the film, mm. which is actually the end of the film. Mm. Uh, so it starts at the end of the school year. And we're at this party where we're introduced to those uh, three characters, uh, Sean, uh, Lauren and Paul. And some pretty unpleasant things happen at that Mm. party. So the film kind of sets out its stall immediately that this is going to be nasty, unpleasant, dark. Uh, I'd forgotten that bit. I did not remember it opening with a rape, which Mm. is really quite troubling and uh, put me right off the film. Yeah, me too. It was. Um, it was couldn't a, concentrate for horrible, the rest of the film. It's really horrible fucking opening. horrible. And no one says what it is. No one says um, the word rape, mm. which is really, really problematic and really troubling mm. um, because that's what it is. So mm. why is no one saying it? Mm. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and I have real issue with her internal description of what's happening to her. She's talking about losing her virginity and you've got two very um, talented writers and a talented director and I don't know if this is in the book, but if it is in the book, I'm still not happy about it. So the way that she uh, vocalizes her experience is it hurt, but not as much as I've been led to expect. It's like, is that literally the best you can do? Is that the best you two can do? And if there's another way of saying it and you can't do it, maybe you should step away from it. Is my piece on that. Yeah, is the implication, so she she has been raped, is the implication that she's just happy to have lost her virginity? I don't know. I th- her mind is somewhere else, and that's understandable. I just don't see why another character doesn't mention it, or even the person that's filming the rape. I don't know. Just someone should say the but word. He, he's mm. complicit in it, though, the guy who's filming it. Yeah. He's, he's actively mean he, encouraging it. Yeah, so. yeah, but he still knows what it is, or he should know what it is. And if he doesn't, maybe someone else could say it. Well, I think that's... The, if, you're, if you're instigating and filming a rape, you're probably going to steer clear of that word. If you're the... <laughs> The, if you're the author of the situation, I suppose it would make legal proceedings pretty swift. Yeah, if you named it. Yeah, we had we had you on uh, the audio on of you on the tape, going, "This is a rape." Yes. 
I just think someone else would fucking mention it. But what I found weird about that watching it on this occasion was that we then cut back to the start of the school year and we see the school year kind of unfold. And then we get to that that party and that moment again at the end of the film. But we don't really return to those sequences. We don't return to that scene and and maybe have a different version yeah. of it or or, or or what you're saying. Some, some, someone Seize calling it. out yeah, for what it is. It, yeah. I found that really strange. If you're going to structure your film in that way yeah. to not come back and actually... And also, obviously, I've got on my high horse about that. But then, if I'm being completely honest, the prevailing thought I had was, how old are you when you're losing your virginity? <laughs> like, aren't you at university? Come on. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I only worked this out because in the deleted scene uh, that you mentioned earlier where Casper um, Van Dien plays uh, Patrick Bateman, because mm-hmm. uh, Harvard is a university, and mm-hmm. um, Patrick Bateman in the deleted scene talks about how he went from Camden College to Harvard. So I'm guessing they are a bit younger. I'm guessing it's not a university or it's sort of like no, it's a, a, it's a, a middle ground between high school and uni. I'm not uh, I'm not sure. It's a, I know it's it's a liberal arts college they yeah. call it. Yeah. So I think it's a uni. I think maybe right. you go to that uni and then you go on to Harvard for a second. Okay. No, we go into Harvard Business School. So that would be the equivalent of an MA. Right. There you go. We See. don't understand American uni systems. Yeah, um, it's I do sort of because the the ending where James Vanderbeek at the does something different to what he does at the start of the party, would are we led to believe that uh, that actually maybe she isn't raped in this alternate reality? I at really the hope not. That would be better. It I would. Just, yeah. No, that's what I mean. I, I'm I'm sort of clinging on to the idea that that might have happened because she walks out quite quickly and talks to Paul. Yeah. And they see James Vanderbeek riding off, and she ha- that happens so quickly that you don't imagine that the experience she had no. in the opening actually occurred. That's okay. right, because she's super chill in that yeah. conversation. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, that's what led me to believe that. Now I'm now I'm remembering. It's just it's not explicitly explained, and so yeah, which you know it's. it's happens in American Psycho it happens in this film a little bit we've got we're getting people's point of views of relationships and conversations and and they're constantly shifting and nothing is particularly consistent like you know um, Lauren has led us to believe that Victor's her boyfriend who's gone to Europe. He doesn't know who, he doesn't know who she is. <laughs> I love Victor. So, so Lauren was this sympathetic character as far as I was concerned. Then you get to that bit. Actually, no, she's, is she as crackers as some of the other people here? Is she as delusional as Sean is thinking that she's in love with him and that Paul is thinking that Sean's in love with him? Mm. She's just as deluded as everyone else in this oh, film. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And so is the, the, the girl who is infatuated with... Um, Sean, who keeps leaving in the letters. Everyone yeah. is deluded in this movie. Yeah. Food service girl, they call her. She doesn't even get a name. Brilliant. That's, <laughs> so that's, that's so what... upsetting because that is a truly, that's, that's another upsetting scene in this film. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. That's, let's talk about that. That's, it's, a, it's an interesting um, approach to it. So uh, a girl, we see a girl committing suicide uh, in a bath. Sean has been receiving these letters and then it's made clear to the audience that a girl who's actually been popping up in the film all throughout, just in the background of scenes that we've barely noticed. Mm. Equally, Sean has barely noticed her, and because of that, it, she's killed herself. So mm. it's quite a clever way of putting that on the audience. Yeah. Um, especially when they literally show you the moment she's been in, and you 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 see her. You, oh, I did see her yeah. in all those spots. I just didn't really pay attention to her. Um, although having someone kill themselves to without you by Nilsson's pretty hardcore that's as intense as it gets it's so, over the top do you know what I had to do Literally, I actually did this immediately after that scene because I was like oh my god this is so awful 
I went to the um, old YouTube clip of the woman singing that song, but she thinks it's Ken Lee. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Can't, can't live. Uh, I'll just, I'll just remind you of that moment in case you're feeling heartbroken right now. Made me in that moment feel a lot better, a lot better, yeah. a lot better about that scene. Well, I'll be honest. Ever since I've seen this, I've seen this film maybe four times. Ever since seeing the cinema, that scene, I actually forward wind through. I can't watch it. It's really upsetting. It's, it's, it's um, but it, it's upsetting in a way that's like a. I mean, I thought it was a good piece of filmmaking. It was, I wasn't pissed I off about it. I just thought it was, she was really, really good in that scene. Of all the little ticks like uh, that he applies to this Roger Avery, the bit where you sort of see her, you realise you've seen her in the corner of scenes, and like the mm. camera just like sweeps past her quite quickly. I like that a lot more than I like that bloody rewinding thing. Oh, fucking hell, that's I annoying. Was, I, I remember, I was looking forward to that when I sat down to watch this. Like a lot of things I was looking forward to. I was excited to watch this. And the minute that started, I was like, whoa, this yeah. is it goes on infuriating. So annoying. And the split screen between Lauren and Sean Bateman. I didn't mind that. I hated it. Really? Because, yeah, because if you're, if all your actors are going to do to signal desire is bite their lip for 90 minutes, <laughs> maybe don't split screen it because it's really fucking obvious. And I tell you what's tricky is filming just a scene, just one shot with two people who emotionally connect or connect in some way. And when you split screen it like that, it's just a gimmick to distract you from the fact that maybe this scene isn't playing out in front of you the way it should. That's how I felt. Interesting. That might come up again a bit later in the podcast. Ooh, uh, little taster there, Chris. So the uh, the film is filled with parties at the end of the world party, the pre-Saturday night party, the dress to get screwed party. Uh, were your memories of parties at uni like these parties? Our uh, parties were better than that. Yeah, Vicky yeah. and I threw like the dress to get screwed twice mm-hmm. party. Yeah, like... the end of the universe party. That was massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge. And uh... We went to a liberal arts college. I don't know what else you thought we were doing. We had a traffic light party at my uni. Did you have a traffic light party? What's that? If it, 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 it sounds shit. If you, <laughs> if you wear red, you're not up for it. If you wear orange, you might be up for it. And if you wear green, you're definitely so up for it. What was it? All these boys in green? <laughs> no, just me and my mate Stu. Oh, shut I up. swear we were the only people that wore green. That's so And the only people there, which made it uncomfortable. <laughs> The whole—I mean, at least it clears your intentions. The but... whole college came out for this party and dressed. It was <laughs> l- looking back, I'd forgot about it and just made me remember. I thought, what a strange thing we did, <laughs> and what a sad thing me and Stuart did. I was the guy uh, getting chased out of my drug dealer's house with a uh, firearm. <laughs> it's not joking. <laughs> <laughs> I could relate to that moment. How much do I owe you? <laughs> So we've got about an hour of these uh, these three individuals being awful to each other. Um, and then we get Victor's European tour. Oh, Vicky. I fucking loved it. <laughs> it's so good. So tell us about Victor's European tour. It seems to be in a, it's from a different film. I think, didn't I read, I don't know mm. if it's true, that they didn't really have the money to do it the, the way they wanted to do it. So they just got him to be in character from the minute he got on the plane. Yeah. And like use a handheld camera and just like go for it and interact. I don't, that can't be true. Though. Yeah, though, no, they shot 70 hours of footage. Roger Avery paid for it. And from the moment Kit Podgew boarded the plane from the US, yeah. uh, he was in character as Victor. Yeah. And they spent, I think it was a week or two weeks in Europe traveling around all these cities, just him and Roger Avery filming yeah. it on the camera with him in character, seducing women, meeting yeah. these people. Brilliant. And from those 70 hours of footage, he created another film. 
called Glitterati. Oh, right. Which um, has never been seen due to legal issues. Because people uh, no. must have not signed with these. I can, well, I don't know. I can speak to some of that. So, uh, Brett Easton Ellis wrote a book called Glamorama, yeah. where Victor takes the lead and he travels around Europe and he's involved in a terrorist plot. Which is why in the short sequence in this, when they're in Italy, it's like a bomb goes off for, yeah, yeah. for a split second. Yeah. So Glitterati was supposed to be a sort of joining film between it's Rules of Attraction and Glamorama. But as you said, uh, the Wikipedia says due to various legal, ethical and music licensing uh, concerns, mm. it couldn't be released. What's um, the truth? Are you about to tell us the truth? I am. Drop a truth bomb. I am. Um, Avery described the film as ethically, um, ethically questionable. Um, Ellis said of the film that for many legal reasons it will never see the light of day it's basically about 90 minutes of Pardew in character seducing women throughout Europe Uh, they didn't get sign off it would ruin marriages Uh, Roger wants to contain it and so for that reason he just shows it to his mates but basically I think they were just shagging they weren't getting release (laughs) forms signed yeah um they could get themselves in a lot of trouble. Although this do, the scene I want to see, uh, they, they talk about um, on the commentary to this one, is that they were at a Ford model party in France, I think. And um, Mick Hucknall came up to Roger Avery, had a massive go at him thinking he was paparazzi. <laughs> <laughs> so they've even got Mick Hucknall in this film. I think it's the lines as well. Like Obviously, because he, he speaks very quickly because it's the sharp cuts. And when he says uh, Rome, it's a lot of fun. It's like LA, but with ruins. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> then you just move on. And obviously, Victor is meant to be a prick, but he's the character that's the most fun because mm. of his trip through. Because he's he's absent for the first half of the film, and then you see the trip to or the first two thirds, and you see the trip to Europe. And you're like, I would be very happy to be on that trip mm. to Europe with you. Like it does look like a lot of fun. It's made all the more uncomfortable, though, that uh, in 2018, I believe Kit Pardew was accused of sexual misconduct, which Ooh. is uh, a sort of a sort of bitter aftertaste bitter from cold. that character. Oh, I'd forgotten that. Yeah. So that's why we've not really heard from him for a while. Mm. Okay, uh, favourite scene, unless we've already talked about everyone's favourite scenes. Well, it's that, or I like the scene with Faye Dunaway and her mate when they're getting like smashed in the restaurant. Like, what's her friend called? I don't know. I, I don't know the it. actress, Swoozy Kurtz. Yeah, yeah. So they're yeah. just like popping pills, like losing control of the conversation, <laughs> just like drinking neat vodka essentially by this point and trying to lecture at least one of their children on like being an upright member of society. That was really good. I might be able to jump in here and help you out because weirdly, that is my favourite scene as well. <laughs> but it's my favourite scene because of Richard. No. Uh, I, well, you, maybe this won't help then. But let's... Enjoy some choice moments from that scene because his name isn't Richard, it's Dick. Oh, yeah. My name is not Richard. Oh, well, th- then what is it? Dick. What? Dick. You heard me. Dick. No, your name is Richard. Sorry, it's Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Dick, how is school? It sucks, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. Russell, uh, Russell, what's his name? I looked it up. I can't find it now. Russell Sams. Russell Sams. Yeah. I was. I watched this, and I remember at the time thinking this was my favourite scene. It was my favourite scene again watching it just now, and I can't believe he didn't do more. He's yeah. so funny in yeah. this, and his CV is sort of like appearances on... Like American TV shows and a couple of movies that I hadn't heard of, and like just he's so good in this film. I love that scene. Do you not love that scene? I thought he, I found him ridiculously. I found it a bit over the top. (laughs) Like his, it just is very long. Yeah, and he gets a lot of attention. And Faye Dunaway's in the room, so maybe we could (laughs) stay there for a bit. 
Uh, I'm going to pick that uh, epic dual tracking shot that Victoria uh, dislikes so much um, because I do think it makes dramatic sense. In this in this world of disconnection, they're illustrating this moment of connection and it's the first time two of our protagonists are supposed to meet in real life and that split screen shows how different they are, the way their days begin, the kind of people they are. But when they finally are united, you get this one small moment of contact and it was actually supposed to be a kiss but she took removed his glasses and, and Roger Avery really liked that and I just think it it's sort of thematically works in the midst of a film that's about people trying to make connections but just completely missing each other all the way through so sorry Vicky that's okay uh MVW most valuable whatever uh, Vicky. So it would be like James Van Der Beek is obviously, if you know, if he's just Dawson Leary, then this is like a bit of a shock, but a good shock, a fun shock. Um, and why shouldn't he get to play roles like that? So it would be him other than, but this, tell me if this is done on purpose. When he is about to shag, is it Kate Bosworth? Yeah, Kate Bosworth. At the start. At the start. They're in his room or her room and he's playing the guitar. And then I was like, oh, like, that's the fucking worst possible thing that can happen in that situation. And ask anyone. But it's I, it's him. It's him doing the Patrick Bateman thing. It's him pretending to be that guy who plays an acoustic guitar. It's all an act okay. to yeah. have sex with. Yeah. Her. OK, fine. But then she's not into it. She, she puts her hand on his legs like, shut up. No, she's totally into it. She's crying because she's on pills. Yeah, but she's crying because she's on pills and is into that moment. No, I don't. I saw. I saw. She was like, "I have to enjoy this because sometimes you do have to enjoy that when a boy is like, look how deep I am.' Wow, but you're not. This is so I, funny that we watched exactly the same scene from completely different perspectives. No, I, I'm with I'm with you because it's even the, the he's... yeah. But you're you're men, so yeah, you would be. I'm telling you, as a girl that's been in that room with a man on a guitar. No, thank you. No, but I don't want to hear of... under the fucking bridge. I don't want to hear. That's because I used to play that on my guitar. Admittedly, not in an amorous situation, but I, that was the only song I knew on the guitar. I, I didn't don't want to hear it. it. And if anyone says, I'm just going to play one of my own songs. Bye. But that's the joke that they're making. Okay, because fine. because his own song segues into Counting Crows. Yeah. yeah. That's taking the piss because okay, this fine. has got this fantastic soundtrack. But this then movie. the other thing is, so he's not he's not cool or he's not whatever, but he rides a motorbike. So then when he's like, really, I am a little bit cool because I'm going to speed off on my motorbike. Like, fuck off. So yeah. no. But that's not James Van Der Beek's fault. That's just, I didn't, you know, I don't like the character um, because of that. My most valuable whatever or character is the customer of... James Van Der Beek, I think he's called Mark, and he's in his bedroom. James Van Der Beek is a shit drug dealer because he's like, Mark, you owe me $300 or $500, and sort of just sits there for about 20 minutes while Mark is off his face talking about not having any clocks in his room. And he's like, you know, because the government. The guy on heroin. Yeah. yeah. So and you I... know who that was, don't you? Yes. No. I was going to tell you, and you're going to kick yourself. Oh, why? It's Fred Savage from The Wonder Years. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> is it? It is. It is. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I'll be honest. I knew that, but I'd forgotten it, and I had to rewatch the scene again when I no. realised afterwards. He's amazing. Yeah, he's really just, good. You always run into people like that at parties, or like the what girl. doing heroin? No, no, no. But you know, <laughs> yeah, at parties we went to <laughs> end right? of the universe party. <laughs> I'm in my green jumper. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about clocks, green jumper. Someone at the parties we were at. Someone probably try and smoke you. <laughs> That's true. Not kill you. Sorry, I'm no, you know, yeah, crumble up your jumper. But he doesn't know. He yeah. doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, We're so cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> MVW, Alex? Oh, James Van Der Beek. James Van Der Beek. Um, it's, uh, although, again, I've I made my other half watch this and she went, she went, no, it's not good. I'm like, this is groundbreaking. He's brilliant in this. This is like, I've just never, I, I was electrified by his performance. She's like, apart from the sex face 
And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, the sex face is fine. Then she was like, all right, even if you have the sex face, it's the bit where to look sort of weird and angry, he sort of tilts his head forward <laughs> yeah. and sort of looks up at the camera and it's like... And she was like, not into that. And is he a good shag or is he not? Because I is he what is he a good shag or not? Because Kate Bosworth and Jessica Biel seem seem to be having a good time, Mm. but I think there's a suggestion from him that maybe they're faking it a bit. But then he's like, well, no, they're not faking it. I know that. Um, And then it just seemed unlikely to me if you hate someone or all people as much as he does that he would be any good. Mm, I bet he's good. But they were both <laughs> on drugs, and drugs can uh, oh, that's make true. you um, but, uh, more sensitive what, to what, those feelings. What's remarkable of, about that? Um, stop your sentence. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what's remarkable about that performance as well is that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, he was playing Dawson, and then he was flying to do this for the rest of the week. So those are two pretty different um, headspaces to be in. Do you remember when he was on Good Morning and they went on and on about Dawson's Creek in the introduction in quite an offensive way and it was a really awkward interview? No. I've got a piece that sort of explains the uh, the situation. Um, James Vanderbeek did not look too pleased after an uncomfortable Dawson's Creek-focused introduction ahead of his interview on UK show This Morning. Hosts Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby spoke about the <laughs> Philip Schofield. But if you actually listen, this is the introduction they give him. And basically what they do is talk about how well all his co-stars are doing and pretty oh, much go, no. where have you been? But li- ad verbatim, that's what Philip Schofield does. <laughs> See the green shoots of A-list careers almost 20 years on and Katie Holmes is the leading Hollywood actress. Away from the silver screen, she famously married Tom Cruise. Michelle Williams received four Oscar nominations since leaving uh, Dawson's Creek. Joshua Jackson plays the jilted husband in the Golden Globe winning drama The Affair. But what happened to the main man himself, Mr James Van Der Beek? Well, he's here now. And that's what he looks like. You see? I, I have been on television in the last 20 years. Yeah, we know. I'll let you know. We know that, but it worked better as a link. Okay. <laughs> oh, Schofield. I know, right? Oh, that's it's awful. It's so rude. I've, I've listened to a few interviews with Van Der Beek, and he's done a couple, He's appeared on Brett Easton Lennis' podcast a couple of times. He's a really intelligent, interesting bloke. Uh, I, very self-depreciating. Very, I like him. I met him at the Empire Awards, mm. uh, and... I was literally effusing about this movie to him. Yeah. And he was, he took the time to speak to a, a, a drunk kid yeah. <laughs> who sort of ran up to him. Rules yeah. and man. Oh my God, change my life. And he was like really nice. Um, so yeah, he's got, he, he's got my vote. And there's a sitcom called Don't Trust the Bee, Bee in, in Apartment, Apartment 23. 23. Yeah. You seen that? I know of it. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's he, so good. It's so good. He plays himself. He plays, um, James Van Der Beek yeah. from Dawson's Creek in it, and he's so <laughs> funny. Um, okay, uh, my uh, MVW is uh, Richard Sams as uh, Russell Sams as Dick. <laughs> is he really? Yeah, I love I was, him. Oh, I thought you'd gone quiet when Vicky was going, no, he's over the top. And I was like, what? Come on. I love him. It sucks. Cock. <laughs> <laughs> we used to say that a lot when I worked at Hot Dog. Um, no, I think he's. I think he's just really hilarious, and I agree with everything you said, Alex. I just bit my tongue until this moment. Thanks for backing me up, even though. <laughs> and so that might be my favourite Reinforcements scene. arrived eventually. <laughs> uh, what would you change, Alex? I would change me. I would change me being 15 years younger and watching this movie and oh. being like, oh, I'm still of that age where I can do things like that. 20 years younger and being of the age that they are in the movie and being able to just have, like, I, I just, I felt old. Mm. I felt old watching this and I think... Admittedly, as the movie went on, I felt myself regressing. So at the halfway point, I started to enjoy it again and started to sort of like it. It, what, it had that effect on me that sort of reminded me of who, how I felt back then. But the first half, 
I was just a bit like, I was just, this is annoying. These people are annoying. I, you know, end up walking around and it's snowing. I'm like, put a scarf on. <laughs> but but you didn't you didn't think that 15 years ago when you watched no, it. No, when I watched it 15 years ago, I was like, I'm going to go to the best party yeah, tonight. I'm going out and now. it's yeah. really interesting that if you look at the reviews of this, every critic that was over 25 hated it. Mm. And every critic that was under, like us at Hot Dog, loved it. Yep. It really seemed to split people based on their age. Uh, Vicky, what would you change? I think it's the Apart- same. Alex wants to change his own age. Who I doesn't? Think- yeah. Who doesn't? <laughs> I could say that every week, though. Uh, Vicky. I think it's a shame that Paul Denton appears to be the only gay at school. <laughs> he- He's still getting some, though, isn't he? From who? Uh, from uh, uh, Kevin from American Pie, who doesn't want oh, to admit it. Oh, yeah, who that- doesn't want to admit it. Yeah. Rookie of the year, as I like to call him. Yeah, but it's not the same thing. So he's got some friends. Um... And they, I, I don't know, they may or may not be gay, but everyone he's making an advance on. So Kevin from American Pie is like, fuck off, I don't want to talk to you. James Van Der Beek doesn't want to talk to you. In real life, he would have been like, oh my God, this is boring. And just gone to the gay parties and had mm. some fun and had a nice college experience. I think it seems to be a shame for him that he's latching onto people that are not interested when there's like a party next door where they're open arms, come in, Paul Denton, mm. take your shoes off, have a good time. Yeah. No, it's a good one. I like it. Um, I would change. I would have liked this to have done for James Van Der Beek's career what um, American Psycho did for Christian Bell's That's career. That's a really good yeah. change. Uh, yeah. And most of what I was going to say, I just said uh, earlier on this podcast about his performance. But yeah, I think he's great in this film. And I think it's a real shame Hollywood didn't um, make the most of his talent. Right, what did we learn? Any trivia from anyone? Anything to add? I mean, no trivia, just as sort of as a um, a companion comment, if you will, to Alex's point about wanting to be younger. I learned there's something to look forward to in old age, which is the pills that Faye Dunaway and her friend are taking in that restaurant. <laughs> that looks like if you're a certain, like a woman of a certain age and you're a blue blood North American lady, there's fun to be had. So happy days. Can me and Alex not have those pills with you? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, of course. If we can find them, if we know where they are, we can what is that it? Restaurant. Isn't it just like it, she actually says she offers her the pill and she, yeah. and, and she goes, what is it? And she goes, does it matter? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Alex, anything? I, I looked up in add- American Psycho when um, his friend, uh, who he gets to um, have the threesome with uh, Christy, his friend, and she's like, oh, yeah. I'll even take Halcyon right now. I'm like, yeah, what's what is Halcyon? Halcyon? Yeah. It's like Xanax. I looked it up. Oh, okay. Uh, I have uh, one thing I spotted. Did you recognise, Alex, uh, the doctor that declares Harry dead and says it's uh, toe tag time in Teenville tonight? I knew it must have been someone because it's a very self-aware performance, mm. but I don't know who it is. Wait, what scene is that? Is that uh, which movie is this? Uh, when a uh, kid takes a drug overdose and oh, Paul yeah. takes him to the hospital and yeah. this very strange-looking yeah, 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 doctor. Yeah, the doctor. Yeah, I thought it was Toby Jones for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. It's our old friend Paul Williams. Of Bugsy Malone, yes! Muppets, no! Christmas Carol. No. It's that guy. Really? No. He keeps popping up, doesn't he? He's great in it as well. Yeah, it's a funny scene. Just a really weird moment. Like, is he just annoyed with them because yeah. they've wasted his time? Yeah, it's very weird. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to briefly touch upon was the ending. Um, where, it w- as you said, uh, Sean Bateman drives off on his motorcycle, <laughs> all melodramatic, um, says all I could think about was... And then stops mid-sentence and stop by erasure starts up and the film ends. Mm. What did you think about that ending? I love that ending and I immediately downloaded that song and have listened to it probably every week since. I just love the fact he goes, because his last line is, uh, I'd already started to think about and then it ends or something. Or all I could think about all, was. All yeah. I could think about was. And then it goes, stop. Um, 
That ending to that movie, where that comes on, Erasure, stop. The ending of Event Horizon, where Funky Shit by the Prodigy kicks in immediately, like a smash cut to the credits, and the end of Fight Club are the three best endings where credits come on mm. uh, to movies ever. What right. did you think about that ending? I instantly forgot that's how it ended and went, what a lot of shit that was. <laughs> Have you seen The Sopranos? Yes. No, no, it's a series I've never watched. Have you seen The Sopranos? I didn't watch it to the end. I watched about half of it. Okay. I don't want to go into it in case anyone hasn't and planning to, but it reminded me of the end of Sopranos. The very end. The very end. No, actually, I'm, I'm actually still planning on watching it at some That's point. That's why I said I'm not going to say it, but I feel like there's something going on that we're not touching upon here, which is quite important. But anyone who's seen the end of Sopranos knows what I'm talking about. Okay. Do they? Let's move <laughs> on I don't to... know that they do. Do you think that people are literally... Oh, 100,000%. Like, the ending of The Sopranos is the most controversial ending in TV history, and uh, more controversial I think this is the than... same ending if you believe what more I believe. More controversial than Dexter and Lost? Or were they just yeah, disappointing? People Lost still talk about the ending of... But is it disappointing controversial? Or just... It depends what you think has happened in okay. the last second. Right. I'm going to make the wrap it up gesture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, two yeah. seem to be a bit lost in the vortex. <laughs> I'm trying to get onto the quiz. He keeps asking me questions. <laughs> okay. I've spoken. Uh, all right, the quiz. Uh, we're going to do the psychopath test, but not that one. <laughs> uh, I am going to give you the name of a psychopath or serial killer from the movies, oh, and you need to tell me uh, what movie they come from. You've just stolen my quiz. Like from last week with the nice guys. It's because I didn't have much time, did I? Because. I thought we were doing the actual psychopath test. Right, and then Vicky Chase. And also, I was going to make it about, I was going to do something about real serial killers, and then I just thought it was too dark for Oh, this. I thought that's what you meant. Oh, yeah, it's too nasty. Interested. It's too nasty to talk about real serial killers. All right. Uh, oh, let me do my column. V and A. Uh, V's got <laughs> a bigger column than A. Uh, Norman Bates. <laughs> what? Psycho, what? Okay. All right. Are we Correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Charles Lee Ray. I can give you a clue. Yes, please. Also known as Chucky. Oh, it's um, Charles Play! Oh, fuck. Correct. Uh, Mickey and Mallory. Uh, natural Born Killers. John Doe. Uh, seven. seven. Shit. Alex just got in there first. Uh, ben Willis. It's a trickier one. Give us a clue. Uh, also known as The Fisherman. Oh, I know what you did last summer. Oh. I still know what you did last summer. I'm going to look at you for this one. I've seen all of these. That's so annoying. <laughs> You've definitely seen this oh, one. Oh, don't do this to me. This never goes well. I'm looking directly at you. Don't. Sid 6.7. Virtuosity. Oh. You, you watched it with me, Vicky. <laughs> you sat next to me in the cinema. Bloody hell. Uh, Daryl Lee Cullum. Um, oh, no, I was going to say um, True Detective. But we're not doing telly, are we? No, he was played by a crooner, a famous singer in real life, who's a bit Sinatra-esque. And it's from the early 90s, a thriller. Okay, we Copy will... Copycat. Yes, oh. correct. Uh, Harry Connick Jr. was the actor. I've seen it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't. I wasn't picking obscure ones. Uh, Mick Taylor. Oh, uh, Wolf Creek. Correct. Uh, John Kramer. I've Seinfeld. No, <laughs> I've seen this. I can give you a clue that will give it away. Uh, all right, I'll make it as tricky. Uh, the, the name of the film is part of his nickname. The word of the film. Zodiac. Uh, Candyman. There were seven films and a reboot in this series. John Cr- 
Kramer. Seven films in a Also Ringer. known as Jigsaw. Oh, Saw. Saw. Alex said it first. No, he didn't. <laughs> I did. All right. <laughs> Do you want to play a game? <laughs> uh, Billy Loomis. I know this. That's so annoying. You, uh, yeah, you it's Halloween. Know. It's not. That's Michael. That's Billy I Loomis. know this. That's so annoying. Oh, and... The, the, Oh, uh, four, there were four movies in this series. Uh, Billy Loomis was only in the first one. Billy Lo- uh, Scream? Yes! <sighs> uh, and the final one, uh, Mike McKay. I mean, I've won, so I'm going to take a back seat that you have this. I, d- I, don't, I actually feel like I don't know it. I'll Go give on. you his nickname. For once. <laughs> Go on. Stuntman Mike. Oh, it's Death Proof. Correct. Uh, I was 8-3, if I'm being kind to Vicky. Ended <laughs> <Think it> well. <laughs> Look how happy he is. He's so happy. I'm really cross. <laughs> I've tried to pick films that I thought you'd know. So just, um, just while we're, we're You here, sat with I, me for virtuosity. I thought we talked about uh, films, uh, like the favourite genre of films that we like. What's, <laughs> what's your favourite genre of movie? What really, what really, <clears throat> do you like? Uh, French New Wave. Actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I like films with murders and murderers in. <laughs> Shall we do the verdict? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! Chris. Can I pick Literati? <laughs> uh, I feel dirty having spent this much time on planet Eastern Ellis. Uh, I feel like American Psycho is the more relevant story right now because uh, Patrick Bateman is the American president. Uh, I like the way it constantly implicates us. So the are viewer. you on commission <laughs> from Donald Trump? Because he gets a mention so much. But do you not? I, I when I was watching it this time, I could just see a lot of his personality and his the, his um his lack of empathy. Sure. Um, all right, I'll stop talking about American Psycho. Uh, I love how when America was turning out feel good teen comedies um, that were quite unhealthy. Uh, Rules of Attraction was resolutely nasty and feel bad. Um, I think that source material was more interesting and I think the filmmaking was more exciting and urgent and exhilarating. So I'm with Brett on this. I think Rules of Attraction is the better film. Wrong! Uh, American Psycho is the better film. Uh, Rules of Attraction made me feel old and long for my past and I don't (laughs) want to be thinking like that. And also I just think uh, Christine Bell's performance is astonishing. There's something grotty um, about Rules of Attraction that I couldn't quite put my finger on. The things that are unnecessary in it, the fact that when Shannon Sossaman is being raped at the start, he throws up on her. It's just like, it's really like, that's stark. Like put a bad taste in my mouth, and there were some fantastic moments in it, and I do still like. It. I still think it's a great film, but compared to American Psycho, uh, it doesn't hold up. So it's American Psycho for me. I agree with Alex. It's American Psycho for the exact same reasons. American Psycho is our winner this week. Not the face, you fucking bitch trash. Oh, horrible. Well, that- Quote, don't touch me or you'll draw back a stump. Great line. <laughs> right, what are we doing next week, Alex? Uh, next week, um, I'd like to pick the movies for next week. Would that be okay? Sure. Great. I really think that um, we should do something that I want to do, um, which is, I guess is how picking the movies works on the show. Because, like, you know, 
although Chris does lean on us pretty hard sometimes, as Vicky will attest to, we do actually get to pick our movies, or at least we get a pool of movies from Chris that we're allowed to from pick which from. To pick. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's a it's a system that he's really insisting on at the moment. We're happy with it, and we're not under duress saying this. I'm picking Hellraiser, and I'm giving that to you, Victoria. Brilliant. And for you, Christopher, the Fellini. The Fellini? <laughs> the f- he hasn't seen it. <laughs> What's the Fellini? The fly. <laughs> the fly. <laughs> I was trying to add gravitas to it, but it, it messed up. The fly. Which one? Vincent Price. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. Okay. No. Freak me out for a minute there. Kill me. No, uh, the Jeff Goldblum version. Excellent. Love it. Yeah. Uh, those are next week's movies. Hellraiser versus The Fly. What's the connection? Have you seen them? If you haven't, have a watch. Uh, they're both definitely worth your time, and we'll be talking about them on next week's show. Uh, until then, please do subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts, and do rate and review us. If you do have the time, we really do appreciate it. Thanks very much. See you in a week. This was a Stakhanov production. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.